I'm Susanna Walters, and welcome to Ask a Feminist, a podcast from Signs, Journal of Women in Culture and Society. On this podcast, we actually ask feminists about the pressing issues of the day to provide the kind of feminist analysis and context that is often missing in mainstream coverage. Billy Avery is a longtime reproductive justice activist and the founder of the National Black Women's Health Project. She's been helping women secure abortion since before Roe and has been an advocate for women's health ever since. We wanted to hear from Billy about how her wealth of experience and her firsthand knowledge of the history of feminist reproductive justice activism informs our present moment when reproductive rights and Roe itself are increasingly under threat. She talks with us here about the history of abortion access and the evolution of the reproductive justice movement. And Billy also reflects on how the strategies for collective action and mutual aid that the feminist health movement developed might become newly relevant in the near future. Susan Reverby, a member of the Signs Editorial Board and Professor Emerita of Women's and Gender Studies and History at Wellesley, spoke with Billy at our home. Hi. This is Susan Reverby, and I'm so happy to be talking to Billy Avery today as part of Sign's Ask a Feminist series. Billy, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. My pleasure. We are here to try to get some historical perspective on the abortion struggles of the last half century and into the future. In the pre-Roe v. Wade era, historian Leslie Reagan argues that abortion was more of a secret than housed in silence. As a longtime feminist health activist, can you tell me when you first became aware of abortion as a concern? Well, it was really um, sort of somewhere in the 70s, actually, that I became aware of it as a concern because uh, before that, I knew nothing much about abortion. Certainly no one talked about it. And, um, and when I was in college in the 50s, um, you know, we never heard that word. Um, we did know that sometimes we would secure uh, pills or try to um, uh, take a douche or whatever to, um, you know, um, make sure they didn't get pregnant or stay pregnant. But that was as much as I knew. Um, but So was it talked about in the dorms at all? Do you uh, remember? Yeah. So you're in Talladega, right, Talladega, in Alabama. I went to Talladega College in Alabama. No, um, certainly no talk. Uh, if there was any talk, you know, it would be negative talk, like, oh, she threw away a baby. Mm-hmm. That was the term that people used. Mm-hmm. Um, never used abortion. That never was a word. Um, never was something that um, that we knew very much about. Uh, but no one knew very much about it, you know? Right. You know, it's um, interesting. I um, So I'm about... I go to college about seven or eight years after you, mm-hmm. and I'm at, at Cornell in upstate New York mm-hmm. at the same time, and um, I don't remember any talk about it right. either. I think we knew there were some doctors in the area, but I don't remember ever mm-hmm. talking about it. I just remember being terrified that I could get pregnant. Yes, we all were. We lived with that fear uh-huh. because we also didn't have any information, right. and certainly no, um, no birth control. I mean... Um, nothing that you could use. I think the only thing that was used during that time were condoms. Right. Certainly among um, people I knew. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody 
you know, it just was a different time, a different right. era. So about, I would think by the early 60s, mid 60s, the pill was available. Yeah. So by the yeah. time I was in my last year in college, we all were on the, we were right. on the pill. Right. But yeah. you're, you're talking about 10 years earlier yeah. than that, right? Oh, yeah. And I'm talking about, um, I mean, I can remember my mother um, was a little bit disappointed when she found out I was using a tampon. Because the used tampon sort of implied that you were sexually active. Right. And, um, of course, I was, but, you know. <laughs> it wasn't from the tampon. It wasn't from the tampon. <laughs> but just to let you know how much knowledge we did not have. Right, exactly. You know, it was unbelievable. Mm -hmm. It was unbelievable. Mm -hmm. But then later on, in the after I got, I finished um, college in 1959, and in 19... In 1969, I went back to graduate school, and that sort of was in the heat of the beginning of a second wave of feminism that incidentally started in Gainesville, Florida, mm -hmm. where I was. So I was in moved from Jacksonville to Gainesville, and that, if I would say, if I had to look at one geographical relocation in my life that had the greatest impact on my life, it was that move. Was seventy miles away. Right, because there was a, a famous paper that came out of the Gainesville um, women's um, the women's movement there that I remember we read in New York. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. I still remember. I don't remember yeah. what it was called, but we read it in New York. So uh, around the same time, sixty nine. Red stockings. Um, no, it wasn't red. It was something out of from women from, from Gainesville. Gainesville. Wow. It was a ga paper from Gainesville. Wow. I have to go back and look. Okay, so there you are, and you're going back to graduate school. And what are you doing? Well, I finished graduate school and I started working at Shan's Teaching Hospital on a unit for psychiatric uh, kids, kids who were autistic. It was the mm -hmm. beginnings of looking at autism. And it was headed by Paul Adams, uh, who was a Quaker, who was just an incredible man who, with a vision of the world and how we all should live our lives. He hated the present, he lived in the future, so he drug us along with him and we went. And... Um, we were asked to um, do a didactic presentation along for me along with Judy Levy about what was happening with women's health, uh, what was happening with women's reproductive health, et cetera. He did not so much women's health, but reproductive health. Mm -hmm. And we did this presentation about how important it was to have access to abortion that we needed to have. So it. We, when we... So at this point, we're talking about the early 70s, so it's before Roe v. Wade, yeah. but it's after the law has changed in New York, in right. California, and Hawaii. Right. right. So it's now, there's a place to go that's at least legal, but that's a very far distance from Absolutely. women from Gainesville to go to New York. Right, right. And we did send several women there who were able, several white women, mm -hmm. who had the resources and they just needed the information. But then when a young black woman came to us, we tried to give her the information and she had no resources, and um, she actually died from a self-induced abortion. And that really brought it home and made us understand the importance of access. It doesn't matter what you have. If I can't get it, right. as far as I'm concerned, you don't have it. And I remember I worked in one of the first clinics in New York right mm -hmm. after the law changed um, that fall. And what I remember is the women, and I answered the phone, so I remember women calling up and mm -hmm. saying, 
are they really doctors? Is this really safe? Because it was so new. Um, and then people being completely terrified to come to New York, as you can well imagine, not only the cost, but how do they get there? How do they right. get there from the airport or the right. bus? Where are they going to stay? Who's going to take care of them? I mean, it was yeah. a very scary time, even yeah. though the law had changed. Yeah. And then having an abortion on the top of all of That's that right. is a bit much. Yeah. It's very, it's a lot. Right. Um, but women went through it. You yeah. Know? So what happened, so what would happen mostly of the women that you knew in Gainesville? Were people basically still seeing illegal people or what was happening? I don't know about, I don't know about the ones seeing illegal people, mm -hmm. but I know as soon as the law became the law of the land, right. we started taking women to Jacksonville, right. which was only 70 miles away. And uh, we were literally taking them to Jacksonville. Uh, we were literally going to Jacksonville every weekend. You either be taking somebody to get an abortion or they're going back for their post-op. Right. Something was happening every single weekend. We had that kind of all set up with different ones of us would make that drive. Right. Um, but, uh, and, and at that same time, Planned Parenthood in Gainesville um, uh, wanted to set up an abortion clinic. And so they appealed to the Electoral County Medical Society who turned them down and said the need was not there. But we knew that the need was there. So um, three of us, um, uh, me, Judy Levy, and Margaret Parrish, we would gather in Judy Levy's kitchen, around her kitchen table, and dream about having a center that not only did abortions, but did birth, and look at women's health in the totality of who we are, and recognize that different times in our lives, we make different decisions. You know what's so interesting about that, and I think it's lost in the history, is how much abortion wasn't just the focus that we always tried to think about oh, it, you know, mm -hmm. in the context of oh, women's yeah. reproductive needs. I mean, right. the word reproductive rights took a little bit longer to come into use, right? Right, right. But, right. Um, we certainly were all thinking about it in a spectrum of need, Absolutely. don't you think? Yes, we were. And there was so much we had to unlearn that, you know, that we are healthy when we are pregnant. And, you know, we are, we are, we are not sick. And, and women who came to have abortions were not sick. I mean, you know, so it was just a, a lot, a lot that, that we had to deal with. Sure, mm -hmm. oh sure. And um, did you uh, um, get people in who were still really fearful about what was gonna happen to them? Was there still a lot of... Not when we opened the clinic. The, okay. the way we opened the center was interesting and I say it here because, you know, people need to understand the strategies that you have to develop to do something to get around whatever. Knowing that the Electoral County Medical Society turned down Planned Parenthood, so we just decided to open up the clinic mm -hmm. and not ask for permission. <laughs> um, so we, we were right across the street from Electoral General Hospital who, who wouldn't see a patient we had, but we used that in our information because it helped women feel uh, a little bit safe, but we did have a relationship with Shan's Teaching Hospital, mm -hmm. which was like seven minutes away. So it wasn't that we were being um, irresponsible right. by including that. But and so when we opened it up, the doctors, um, they couldn't say anything mm -hmm. because we said, oh, we didn't know. Right. We had and no idea. So what kind of care were you providing? We were providing um, first trimester abortions and well-worn GYN care. And um, and what was striking to me at that time is that even though um, black women were like 20% of the population in 
and and um, gays feel we're fifty percent of the abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, that women were not coming in by themselves. That they were coming in with their partners, their husbands. Nobody was fearful. Nobody was feeling ashamed. And we, we just none of that really existed. Mm-hmm. Well, first thing we did was we created an incredible center where they could come that felt like home, you know. Mm-hmm. Denim furniture was the style. We had <laughs> denim couches and we had um uh, um uh what those loop rugs. Uh, shag, shag carpet. Yeah. They had shag carpet on <laughs> Very the Very 70s. Oh yeah. And in, the, and in the waiting room I mean in the um procedure rooms, of course we had posters on the ceiling. ceiling right. We just had flowers and plants and so yeah. and this is a time where a doctor's office were very sterile-looking right. places, you right. know, with right. tile floors and nothing. So we kind of created this beautiful space. And then we were beautiful in it with the women right. who came and the men, right. you know, and made them feel... Did really you have a physician doing the abortions? Did I have what? Did you have a physician? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, uh-huh. we always had physicians. Okay. All of the abortions were done by physicians. Right. Um, they were really residents, third-year residents mm-hmm. at the University of Florida, mm-hmm. uh, either at um, uh, in, uh, going to school in Jacksonville. You know what's um, interesting? At the same time in like California, um, mm-hmm. Carol Downer and right. people around her right. in Los Angeles are starting to teach themselves right. how to do it and right. are starting to do it um, you know, themselves and teaching other women how to do it. Were you aware of oh, yeah. some of those underground um, oh, yeah groups that oh, were the doing menstrual it extraction yes the whole exactly. thing we knew right. how all of that was done so um, one of the things that starts to happen is um both carol down and a woman named lorraine rothman right mm-hmm. um invent this um the dellum i think it was yeah. called i'm trying yeah. to remember now yeah. that was used to um take to extract to strike the menstrual, menstrual period yeah. and you could do it every month absolutely correct? And the idea in the beginning was to do it collectively as right. well remember right. but then women were right. doing it themselves right. um and i think they felt that there just wasn't um there was people couldn't afford the abortions mm-hmm. i don't know what you were charging mm-hmm. in gainesville i think we were charging 125 dollars. yeah so it was 200 in new yeah, york um, but yeah, you know i mean yeah. at that point i was making 100 dollars a week yeah, yeah. so 200 dollars would have been oh, half right. your salary Absolutely. for the whole month right mm-hmm. so it still was a lot yeah. of money did you guys at all think about um doing it illegally I mean, doing, um, doing, no. having other people doing it? No. No, no okay. we never thought about that. And we we were not in the um, Feminist Women's Health Center, and we were not a part of the Federation. Right. Yeah. So we there was a, a collective of these. Yeah, there was a Federation, right. and then there were these independent centers. Right. Right. So some of the other groups were really trying to learn the procedure mm-hmm. themselves mm-hmm. and doing it without physician mm-hmm. help. And then there were real debates, right. I remember, about right. how dangerous right. this could be and right. real division, I think, in the women's health movement, yeah. don't you think? About yeah, there people? was real division. I, I mean, I remember being on the other on that side, being completely terrified that mm-hmm. someone would die in the name of feminism. Right. That we would kill somebody right. because we right. didn't know what we were doing. Right. Yeah. No, we didn't do that. And you know, medical. We always had very good medical directors who helped us. You know, along our remember Max Suda from Jacksonville was our first medical director, mm-hmm. and um, and. And we, it was a, it was a positive experience for the women who came, which mm-hmm. is what people quite don't understand mm-hmm. how, 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 how burdensome it can be when you are care when you are. 
pregnant and you don't want to be. Mm-hmm. And it's not a good time. It's mm-hmm. not the right time. Mm-hmm. It's the worst time for whatever reason that you have it weighs on you. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, women felt that they really, um, they had a big sigh of relief um, when it was over. Right, but this is also before you're getting, anybody's getting picketed, right? They didn't have to go through a gauntlet. No, 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 we didn't have any of that. I think once we had a little bit of picketing and in a month, one of the women who was on the line was coming in getting an abortion. <laughs> <laughs> and and we quite, yes. you know, we reminded her of that, but nothing like what what you see now, right. and nothing, um, no, none right. of that, none of that. And were you aware of the people um, who ran Jane in in Chicago? I knew about the Jane. We knew about the Jane Collective. So, when you want to explain to our way. audience what Jane the Jane was? Collective was this, um, a group of women in um, they were in Chicago, Chicago, who uh, made a decision to form an abortion referral service. And so you would call and ask, call a certain number and ask to speak to Jane. And um, that was the way you got through to find out where in the country you could go and get an abortion. I've told that story to many young women now mm-hmm. and said you need to think about what are you going to do if abortion becomes illegal? And and this is, not, I told them about the Jane Collective. I told them about another thing that I heard from Talking with my friend Leslie, um, Leslie, who um, who said to me, and she's white, and she said to me, me and all of my girlfriends had a thousand dollars that we kept, and the thousand dollars were if you needed to go have an abortion, and if you didn't have your thousand saved up within our group, we pooled our money to give you your thousand. So that you could go and do that. So that was kind of unheard of, right. you know. Right. But, like but a, that worked. A feminist insurance policy. Yes, that's exactly what it was. Yeah. You know. You know, it'd be really interesting to find out whether this was this is the historian in me, but it would be really interesting to know how many of these existed. Yeah. So if you're yeah. listening and you can talk to your mothers right. or your grandmothers, right. ask them about this because right. it's a Absolutely. really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, that's and um, we always heard about women going to Mexico. Mm-hmm. And uh, getting abortions, and uh, and then people talking about what horrible experiences they've had, etc. Not sure about that at no. all. Yeah. I think that was just scare tactics, mm-hmm. um, because I don't think I don't think abortions are very readily available in Mexico, mm-hmm. and if they'd been killing women back then, it wouldn't be. You know, what I'm right. just yeah. one of those people went to Puerto stories. Rico too, is what I remember yeah. as well, and to yeah. Sweden as the yeah. But that would have been an impossible right. for most of us. Nobody had that kind of right. um, that kind of money. I mean, we know from Leslie Reagan's work that it was, as I said, a secret, so people knew like where the doctor was that was right. safe, where right. you could go, right. um, as well. And then there were these attempts to try to learn how to do it. And then there was the DNC. Yes. That that women had, right? You know, um, the doctors who were sympathetic right. uh, would do a DNC, right? Uh, the doctors who were punitive, okay, I'll do a DNC, but you have to have your tubes tied, right? You After know, they they meant that you could right. have no more children, right? That because I didn't want this one didn't mean that I didn't want to ever have any. That's right. You know, so that's right. You, so it, DNC is a dilation and curatage, and it was um, at opening up the cervix and then cleaning out the, mm-hmm. the, the 
material and right. uh, remedial mining of the years. So how do you think, um, since the time that you and I were both involved in this in the 70s, um, what do you think have been the biggest you know, changes since then? Well, I think the biggest change came with the, um, the onset of the pill. Because that then gave women, you know, once we got it all straightened out and got the dosages all straightened out and figured out who they were experimenting on and why they were doing it and called them out on that mm-hmm. and made the FDA become more actively involved. It didn't just happen, right? You know, it happened because we made it happen. Right. Um, then women felt a lot more liberated, you know. Um, um, I think that things like birth control have very little. Uh, did very little to change a lot of the systems for a lot of poor women. Mm-hmm. That I mean, uh, the pill did nothing much for the um, power imbalance relationships that they had with men. Uh, I'm speaking really of the women who were on 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 Medicaid, mm-hmm. who needed abortions when Medicaid was funded. You know, mm-hmm. and it was so easy to take it away from that population. Right. We get the Hyde Amendment yeah. very early, like right. 74, 75, yeah, like something, something like that. Very early. Right. And even when before the Hyde Amendment, when we had Medicaid abortions, it would take forever for them to pay. Right. I mean, you know, here we are running this thing on a shoestring where every dollar counts, and the government will take six months or so yeah, right. to pay you. Yeah. I mean, it was awful. Right. So you had to... Right. You know, not only be fundraisers and money managers right. over this, you have That's to right. do um, both sides. Um, That's right. But we still see, even with the current ACA, the, you know, the poor women get thrown under the bus repeatedly. So right. birth control didn't change that. Did you, you see know? much change when they didn't, when the two drugs come in that make it possible to do a medical rather than a surgical abortion? Do you think that is changed? Um, well, I think it should, um, mm-hmm. but you know, I've not been in that scene mm-hmm. much since then, I, but I do remember in the um, in the late 70s or the early 80s having a conversation with um, folks from um, uh, uh, NARAL. Mm-hmm. I said that one day a surgical abortion won't be necessary. I just right. read some book somewhere that spoke to it, I think, on right. some pamphlet I had. Mm-hmm. And I said, what about the idea of a non-surgical abortion, a medical abortion? And boy, did they blast me out of the room. Hmm. We always needed to have access to surgical abortions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, nobody would entertain the idea right. at that time, right. but right. they later grew. Yeah. Um, I, I know that in a lot of um, I've heard about the use of a um, of the um, non-medical abortion more in countries like Brazil. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did a lot of work in Brazil. You mean Brazil. non-surgical? Yeah, non-surgical. I mean, right. non-surgical. Yeah. In, uh-huh. in Brazil, the women were very using it a lot, uh-huh. much more than I heard about used here because they still had access. Right. Because that's much, obviously, easier to get a... I mean, if you can figure out a way to... I mean, you have to worry about... Where you buy it and whether you right. pills you're getting that are really thing, you're right. getting something yeah. that's a sugar yeah. pill, but yeah. um, it would make a big difference. So even if Roe, it would be interesting to see if Roe gets overturned. Yes, it'll be interesting to see. God forbid, but if that happens, whether the pills will become more widely available, right. I think they will. will be doing yeah, it. I think they'll get them from Canada. They'll get them from somewhere. Right. You know, they'll right. figure it out. So we'll mm-hmm. have the funds that we all 
collected will be to buy the buy the drugs instead right. of right. Uh, go for right. the abortion. Absolutely. Um, and then, of course, there's always the problem of women's second trimester mm -hmm. um, and what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that with um, the advances in some of the discussion about um, fetal development, mm -hmm. that feminists over the years have taken a much different sense about how to deal with the growth of the fetus itself? Do you know? Well, that kind of brings up two issues for me, that somehow we let the emphasis shift from the woman to the fetus. The fetus became as if it's something that can exist um, by itself. Mm -hmm. You know, it has potential life, but it's not viable, mm -hmm. you know. And so well, somehow we let that that become the, the center of it. We don't know what will happen. So if the law gets overturned, I don't know whether the states, some states will continue. Yeah to be able to do it, and we'll see what we saw between yeah. 70 and 73. We'll have a patchwork. We'll have a patchwork, and we're going to have to start raising funds right. to get people right. or get them to other countries, um, and we're going to have to do um, more of that. I mean, I know one of the things we did in New York in the Women's Health and Abortion Project uh -huh. in the 70s where the women who came who needed second trimester mm -hmm. abortions and couldn't, mm -hmm. we could get, those had to be in the hospital. Mm -hmm. right. um, so we loaned out our addresses, actually, mm -hmm. to people who needed PDs in New York City Public Hospital. Oh, yeah. So we gave people oh, fake wow. addresses wow. Um, so that they could look like they were yeah. New York City yeah. um, residents. I mean, yeah. there was a lot less yeah. identification yeah. than that, or maybe yeah. we even gave people our driver's licenses yeah. to yeah. take with them. I don't remember now, yeah. but we did stuff like that. But those kind of strategies are going to have to be worked out yep. again. Yeah. In case, and I and I was just speaking to a, a group of um, African American women in Michigan, um, Wisconsin, and I said, "You all can keep your heads in the sand if you want. You really got to find out about Plan B, Plan C, <laughs> D, E, and F. Yes, and you got to put things in place, and right. you you no longer have the luxury of just sitting back and judging. That's right. That is just not. That's just not going." Not for our daughters and our granddaughters. No, it's not. no, it's not. It's not. I also think younger women, because they've never lived without access to abortion, are going to, they have just, they know nothing. Mm -hmm. They know nothing about um, these kind of difficulties that we talk about, that we think about. Somehow, we didn't get those stories passed down. They stayed locked up in our mother's and our generation's mind. So I'm glad you're doing this so that people can hear that it was a hard struggle. And and, and, and people think that they can just, they have all of this, they can just make the decisions and go on with their lives. And mm -hmm. you don't know that there's a big foot on your neck. The other part yeah. of it, I used to tell my students all the time, I said one of them, I thought, mistakes we made in the women's movement was instead of using that, the hanger, you know, as the symbol yeah, yeah. or being the idea that women would do it, I said what we really should have had was the shotgun. Mm -hmm. Because in my high school in upstate New York in the 50s and 60s, people got married. You know, like a oh, shotgun yeah, marriage. Shotgun wedding, so right? I said to oh, my students, yeah, so I said to my students all the time, you know that guy you dated for a nanosecond right. in high school? Okay. Yeah. Now imagine having to marry him. Oh, and all God. of my students turn green. Right? Yeah. Okay. It's a, yeah so right. I think what we don't talk about is the forced marriage. Forced marriages, right. that lot, that's what happened right. where I was growing right. up in the late 50s right. and early 60s. Is people oh, yeah. who got married right. right out of high school, mm -hmm. especially in working class mm -hmm. communities, where that would be normative. But yeah. to guys, 
they might not otherwise have ever married. Right, right. And what are the implications right. of that for right. their lives, for divorce, for their children mm -hmm. that, that hadn't been planned, all of that. Mm -hmm. So I do think that's one of the things we have Absolutely. to talk about. Absolutely. That's such a very good point because women don't realize that. Right, you know? right. right. And, 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 and also the doctors who say, I'll give you an abortion, but you have to have the tubes tied. Right. Uh, you know, and then the women in Mississippi who they did appendectomies on the yes. Mississippi appendectomy, right. which was a hysterectomy. Right. You know, they were, you know, unbeknown. We, we, we started to track. So what happened in New York, um, I was part of a group in the Urban um, Coalition, and Helen Rodriguez right. was the head yeah. of our group, yeah. and mm -hmm. it was a pediatric um, neonatologist in New York. And we were keeping track of the abortions in the New York City mm -hmm. um, public um, hospitals. And what we discovered was that there was an often a lot of tubal ligations mm -hmm. and hysterectomies at the same time mm -hmm. as the abortion and right. only in the hospitals that were in black and Puerto Rican right. Absolutely. communities. And that was really the beginning mm -hmm. of understanding what mm -hmm. becomes the reproductive rights Absolutely. movement. Yeah. And we began to really understood mm -hmm. that reproductive rights was about both the right to have an abortion, but also the right to have children, to have children and not have that be stopped. not be sterilized, that whole sterilization abuse. Exactly. Just so that's where it began. Abuse. It really began in our right. tracking those numbers right. um, in, in New York City right. with Ellen, and right. then other people went on to build yeah. a reproductive rights mm -hmm. movement. Can you um, also say something a little bit about the use of the term reproductive justice versus reproductive rights? Yes. Um, I, um, I think a lot of this change in terminology came out, a lot of the work that we sort of sat around and did as black women, uh, when realizing, you know, a right didn't mean a thing if you had no way to exercise it, you know? And that we had a lot of black women whose babies were dying, uh, who wanted their babies and infant mortality. We couldn't, we couldn't get any attention around black infant mortality, not even from the feminist groups that were working on reproductive rights. And so justice, um, you know, Loretta Rawson coined this term, like what, 10, 15 years ago now, mm -hmm. that really encompasses all of the intersectionalities and all of the things that go into making uh, a procedure available, uh, increasing access and justice means that it's access that I Need, I have a right to have a healthy baby. I have a right to not die during my pregnancy because of something somebody didn't do or pay attention to or made a decision uh, in their unconscious racist mind about who I am and what I deserve. So the justice really encompasses all, all of it. It doesn't just slice it down to rights. And I must say, uh, much to our movement is that women grasp that concept and quickly switch mm -hmm. from um, right. to reproductive justice. Right. So you can see the terminology shift from abortion access, pro-choice, right. to reproductive rights right. by the mid-70s to, right. to the idea of reproductive justice. Right. So it raises right. this interesting question, right. if we lose Roe mm -hmm. um, at the Supreme Court level, what will reproductive justice look like? Look like? Hmm. That I have no idea. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, not yet. We, we wait to see, right. um, you know, what that chapter brings. Um, but I must say this, women are very creative and we're still real smart. 
And we've always been so much smarter than the men. And even though they think they win and now, uh, with all of their shenanigans and all, in the end, the women will win. You know, and we're going to lose some women along the way, but we never had those women in the first place. You know, and, um, and we're fighting for their lives too. You know, and in the, in the, in the second, in a nanosecond, they can switch over to understanding. But I think what would happen if you say to men, all of those sperm that you produce, they represent a potential life too. You know? What are we going to do about that? <laughs> Can we put some laws on right. that? Right. Can we put, you know what I'm saying? Right. We need to turn this over so that, you know, they can stop coming up with these foolish solutions, things that, crazy ideas, you know, that women can shut down their bodies if they're getting raped. They can shut that down. Shut down what? Right. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Shut well, down. the ignorance. I mean, it's I, I always... So bliss. I always feel like the failures of, of um, middle school and high school biology classes is just stunning what yeah. people don't know. And I mean, when we think about the beginnings of the women's health movement, a lot of it was, you know, what was called Know Your Bodies classes, right? right? And we had to yeah. help women understand. I had a friend who went on her one of her exams in her history of medicine course used to say to the students, how many uh, orifices do women have at the bottom of their bodies? Mm. And people, this was, you yeah. know, at Boston University in the they 70s, people didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. They had no idea. I mean, yeah. I think people yeah. thought the pee came out of their vaginas. Yeah. I mean, yeah. people's yeah. ignorance yeah. about their own um, bodies and what was happening, the way the ignorance was created was really, it seems to me, so much a part of what we were Real, I mean, it, and as I said, instance, this is before you could go Google it. Now at right. least you now can you do can that. Google but it, we, get everything but all those right. books, they right. were behind lock and key right. in the library. Right. I mean, you right. couldn't get that knowledge. And, and then they didn't really tell you anything anyway. Yeah. And you had <laughs> teachers who were uncomfortable with the material themselves. That's right. Because unlike the people in um, the Netherlands who taught and passed down information through their family, so you get it with feelings, you get it with, you know what I'm with saying? With love. You get, get it with yeah, love. Yeah, you get it with love. And uh, you don't have to worry about legally what you can say and what you can't say. And it's, so, and it's, it's just passed from generation to generation. So that's what we're trying to get folks to do that. Mothers, have these conversations with your daughters and your sons and, 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 and let them know you don't know. That you don't, you might be messing up on this, but we're trying, right? And we're going to do this, and I'm going to be as honest as I can, you right. know. And some of us might need a moment to go away and prepare to come back to see how I can answer this question, you know. But if we don't get it back, I think that's the solution now because the school boys are all forth with you can't say this, you can't say that. Somebody gets their feelings hurt now with all the political correctness that's going on, you know, talk about rape or incest and if somebody feels uncomfortable, they want to have a teacher fired because you brought up something that made them feel uncomfortable. You know, you know. Right. I know. So it's just ridiculous. Yeah. So I think it raises on. this interesting question going forward about how are we going to help people, you know, in families take care of this because this it won't happen publicly? Mm -hmm. What kind of underground mm -hmm. um, work are we going to have to do to make the pills available mm -hmm. for medical? 
abortions for people who are going to need, people are always going to need second trimester. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Abortions just because people yeah. don't know that they're pregnant, mm -hmm. um, sometimes just wait too long, mm -hmm. don't have the knowledge yet, mm -hmm. and people are afraid to acknowledge what's happening in their own body, don't know. Mm -hmm. And I think we're going to have to do the kind of organizing yeah, again. Go back and we, create, yeah. We all knew how to do then, and Absolutely. you know what? Women and men will figure yeah. it out. Women groups have got to start getting together. Exactly. Get yourselves together, start doing your organizing. We've got to have them all over the country. Every city, right. every town right. has got to have it. Right. Every place. Right. It's just, it's just not, you just can't. I just have to do it. Well, thank you. This was just wonderful. I oh, really appreciate your time. You're welcome. Thank you. You're enjoyable. Love talking mm -hmm. to you. Thanks so much again to Billy Avery and Susan Reverby for taking the time to talk to us. I hope you found this conversation as enjoyable as I did. And please consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving us a review. Ask a Feminist is part of a larger project we're doing at Signs called the Feminist Public Intellectual Project, which is all available for free on our website at signsjournal.org. You can find tons of fabulous free feminist content there, including our short take series, where we offer commentaries on feminist books, most recently, Linda Hirschman's Reckoning. We also have a series called Feminist Frictions, featuring essays on controversial topics like trigger warnings and identity politics. And you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Signs Journal. I'm Susanna Walters, editor of Signs. Thanks for listening.